All right, everybody, now's the time. Brown right, motion, tailback slant. Let's put the women and children to bed and go looking for fucking dinner, all right? On one, ready? Ladies and gentlemen, what is up? Coming to you from the Cosa Nostra studios, I'm Matty Buller, and thank you for tuning in to Almost Wise Guys. In this episode, we're going to cover our regular weekly picks for all Week 13 games across the NFL, get to Andy's total prop tees, also going to have the commish stop by, talk some fantasy football, and get to your news of the week. But first, with me as always, from Almost Wise Guys Central, it's Andy, the prognosticator, Attridge. How you doing, buddy? Not bad, thank you. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well, and uh, we're expecting a playoff berth for our domers, aren't we? Well, I'm certainly not expecting one for my Niners, so yes, absolutely. Go fighting Irish. That looks good. I like I like how we're seated. It's good. Yeah, it looks great, man. I think that uh, this is a shining moment to be a Notre Dame fan, because you and I grew up really in the 80s, 90s, when they were kind of in a pretty big heyday under Lou Holtz, and we're winning yep. lots of games, and we also saw their decline. It's so nice to see them back up where they're getting in that four-team playoff berth, and we've got a chance to host an, uh, hoist a national title. That is fucking awesome. It's better right. than Michigan. And this isn't even a contested one. They've run the table, so. Yeah. Um, Damn well good. deserve to be there. And the other three teams are as good as they get, too. So, Yeah, Alabama, Georgia, and uh, who's the other? Who's the fourth? Oh, Clemson. Yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely going to be a sweet playoff, that's for sure. If you're a football fan, that's not one to miss. Michigan's not going to be there, though. Well, they don't deserve to be. <laughs> no, no. Harbaugh just can't get over on Herb, eh? He can't. And he, well, he, I think they're lost to produce both volumes, but he's going to have another bad Christmas. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, what? Oh, and four now against Ohio state. And I don't even think their fan base cares. If you go like no. one and 12, as long as that one win is against Ohio state. Well, I think he's two and two against Michigan state. So yeah, uh, that's, that's yeah. not how uh, Harbaugh intended his tenure at Michigan to start, and that's that, for sure. That wasn't a close loss. That was an ass beating. Oh, yeah. They, they took him to the woodshed. Ohio yeah. State manhandled them. <clears throat> Speaking of Michigan, um, we had a, uh, a, a small conversation about what people are in Michigan are called. And we had the words Michiganians and Michiganites. So I had company for Thanksgiving weekend from Michigan, and they're called Michiganders. So just to clarify. Well, our conversation wasn't about Michigan. It was about Chicagoians, I think, is what I said. No, no, no. It was Michigan. It was Michigan. Was it? Yeah. Although I don't know what people from Chicago are called. Yeah, I think I called them Chicagoians. Chicagoians? <laughs> yeah. Chicagoites. I don't know. <laughs> Chicaganders. <laughs> All right. All right well, um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get on to news of the week. curling team led by an Olympic gold medalist has been kicked out of a Canadian tournament for poor behavior and drunkenness. Ryan Fry, who won gold for Canada at the 2014 Winter Olympics, and his teammates forfeited their final game at the Red Deer Curling Classic in Alberta after fans and opponents complained. The group reportedly broke brooms and damaged locker rooms. Locker room damage. That sounds um, 
more like a four-piece 70s rock band than a curling rink. However, about the drinking, for those who have never curled, take it from this good old Canadian boy. If you can't curl drunk, you can't curl. It's a big part of the game. It's just that you can't be tearing up locker rooms. It's very impolite and un-Canadian. Yep, 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 yep! What a wonderful day for Canada, and therefore, of course, the wealth. President Trump gave Elvis a shout-out in Tupelo, which he called the proud birthplace of the king of rock and roll. You'll say I'm very conceited, Trump said, adding, other than the blonde hair, when I was growing up, they said I looked like Elvis. Trump noted that he gave Presley the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House earlier that month. Is there anything anyone anywhere can say where Donald Trump doesn't make it about himself? It is a good comparison, though. Okay, so let's assume fat Elvis. Of course. They're both renowned for eating a nutritionally questionable diet. They both had a lot of money and were both referred to as king. Elvis by his fans and Trump by his reflection. Don't forget, Elvis called his love interests mama. No, dude, you're thinking of Mike Pence who calls his wife mother. Right. It's Trump who calls his love interests Ivanka. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. There is one big difference. One of them does have a military service record. I just can't remember which one. This guy's a liar. An amateur Irish football team has been left embarrassed by a fiasco, but a Spanish soccer player can't help but see the funny side of this Lazarus-like return from the grave. Ballybrack FC game against Arklow Town was postponed on Saturday after a club official announced the death of Spanish player Fernando Nuno Lafuente in a traffic accident. Now, moments of silence were also held before other matches in the Leinster Senior League. The official scam was a ruse to get Saturday's game postponed, but Fernando Lafuente was later confirmed to be alive and living in Galway. A guy named Fernando playing in Ireland. That is hilarious. Now, maybe John Gruden could talk Derek Carr into taking one for the team this Sunday against the Chiefs and have him fake his own death. And this week, our good friend Dan Snyder, owner of the professional football team from Washington, as once again showing how tone deaf he is and that also he's not just a member of the piece of shit club he's also the president three days after his arrest on a charge of domestic violence reuben foster has found a new nfl team guess who that's right the professional football team from washington has claimed the linebacker off waivers tuesday but he won't immediately be taking the field foster has been placed on the nfl commissioner's exempt list which means he cannot practice or attend games while the league reviews his arrest and this is uh, according to league spokesman brian mccarthy uh the redskins and i quote fully understand the severity of the recent allegations made against reuben if true you can be sure these allegations are nothing our organization would ever condone. Let me be clear, Ruben will have to go through numerous steps, including the full legal process and investigation and potential discipline from the NFL, as well as meetings with counselors associated with the team before he'll ever have an opportunity to wear the burgundy and gold as a player. That being said, we've decided to investigate the situation with Ruben further by claiming his rights after a candid conversation with a number of his ex-Alabama teammates and current Redskins players who were overwhelmingly supportive of us taking this chance. Andy, what say you about this fiasco once again taking place in Washington? Well, I actually 
chastise the 49ers for keeping around uh, after the return of his last domestic violent incident. You did. I did. And this boils my blood probably more than anything I've seen in the league so far this year. This sends absolutely the wrong message. Yeah, of course, Reuben Foster messed up. But Dan fucking Snyder, like Jesus Christ, and the other person that's culpable is Roger fucking Goodell. Yeah, the NFL should have never let it happen, period. Forget about being on the watch list. Like, they should have just looked at that trade when it came through the office and said, "Uh uh-uh, he stays where he is. It wasn't even a trade. They just picked him off waivers, which still has to be approved by the league. And, you know, if you look at the suspensions that the league gives out for this, that, and the other thing, um, you know, Josh Gordon, a whole year for smoking weed, right? Yep. And this guy gets basically no punishment. He just gets a new team to play with. Yeah, this is embarrassing all around. There's nobody that looks good in this story at all. No, and I, I'm going to make another comparison just in terms of uh, the league hypocrisy. So Eric Reed, whom you remember, was a member of the 49ers two years ago, and he was the one kneeling beside Colin Kaepernick during the anthem protests. So he was picked up by the Carolina Panthers on September the 27th. And since then, they've had they played eight games. He's been drug tested five different times in that time frame. Now, the way that the NFL does it is they get a computer to randomly generate 10 names from each team each week to get tested. So five times in eight weeks. um, Doesn't sound very random. It it, it doesn't. And I got out my binomial probability counter. The odds of that happening is actually less than 1%. In fact, it's 0.715%. You don't think the league is targeting this guy because of his anthem protests? Oh, yeah. You can't be kneeling for the anthem. You can beat the shit out of your wife if you want, but God forbid you actually protest peacefully to something. Yeah, I mean, Maddie and I talked about this before the show. Like, this didn't belong in the news of the week. There was nothing humorous about it. Um, This is a very serious issue, and... The league has taken the absolute wrong side of it. I hope there's a bigger backlash than what I've seen so far, but that's it's a it's a sad sad day. It's a black note for the NFL when this shit happens. Now when people hear the name Redskins, they will immediately think titties and baths. It's just a bold new way that we can say we don't fucking care. Go Redskins! All right, it's time to fire it up with our weekly picks. We're going to start off this Sunday in Hotlanta, and they're actually sitting at one-point favorites against the visiting Baltimore Ravens. It is the first road game for, for Lamar Jackson, but I don't. the way Atlanta's playing right now, I, I don't think they've got what it takes to stop Baltimore. Well, ironically, this line started out as Atlanta plus three, and I think that had to do with whether or not um, Lamar Jackson was going to start. Or not. I don't think he's worth that many points to the line. But Atlanta plays a lot differently at home. They sure do. But this year they've been suspect. Oh, they've been suspect all over. Mostly because of the injuries in their secondary. um, Which these guys, half these guys are now back. Baltimore's a different team on the road. And as good as their defense is and as well as that travels, I think this is a good spot here for Atlanta. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's the first game on the road for Lamar. 
Um, that place can get pretty loud. I, I like, you know, just it's one point. So I like Atlanta to win. I'll tell you what, if Atlanta does want to have a chance to win, their defensive ends or outside linebackers, depending on what the play call is at the time, have to maintain their contain on the outside and not let Lamar Jackson cut loose. Oh, no, he can beat you with his legs. Yeah, sacrifice the pass rush if you have to in order to keep contain. Always stay on the outside because if you're letting that guy outside, he's just going to get all the way down the field picking off first downs with like five to eight yard runs where he goes out of bounds, doesn't take any damage, right? If, at least if you force him to go up the middle, he's got to choose to slide or not. And hey, he might take a big hit, might go down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, once again, I don't root for injury. However, part of the game is putting the hit on the quarterback when you have the chance to do so. Lamar Jackson's actually been pretty smart in his first couple of games, and he's not given teams a lot of chances to uh, take a big shot at him. If you maintain contain, though, from those DNs or outside linebackers, forces them to go up the middle or forces them to pass. He looked pretty decent passing last week, but we still really haven't seen what he's made of on the road in a dome like Atlanta's. Uh, it could mean Atlanta's safeties have a big day if Lamar Jackson has to throw the ball. Right, and so his first game, he had twenty. Uh, sorry, 27 rushing attempts. The second game, he had 17. So I think they're, they're doing a better job of trying to keep him in the pocket and, more importantly, keeping him upright. So, yeah, I, um, I look for them to force it through the air. And, yeah, as I say, I just, li- I just like the home team at minus one. Tampa Bay coming off a win last week. They're at home against the Carolina Panthers. Tampa Bay, uh, three and a half point underdogs at home, and Carolina looks like they're choking their season away. Yeah, we talk about the recency effect a lot as it relates to what the line's set at, and I think that plays in a factor here. You know, Tampa Bay obviously looked really good against the 49ers, who are very bad. Um, Carolina is coming off a three-game losing streak after starting the season uh, six and two, and but I don't think they're as bad as losing three games in a row. And in fact, I think they're going to be pretty hungry here. Um, they still have a chance to squeak into the wild card spot. They're not out of the running yet, but if they lose this game, you can almost stick a fork into them. Uh, McCaffrey's playing lights out. Last game, he had over a hundred yards passing, a hundred yards rushing, a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown, which has never happened before. So, and look for Greg Olson to have a big day against Tampa Bay, who can't shut any tight end down. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to agree with you on this game in that uh, when Tampa Bay was playing San Francisco last week, San Francisco was barely rushing Jameis Winston, and uh, that let him have some time to make him look good in the pocket, and their their defensive backs were really allowing a lot of cushion the Carolina Panthers aren't going to be allowing that cushion and they're going to be rushing Jameis Winston. That's what's going to happen. Uh, the Panthers aren't as bad as their last three games uh, would make them out to be. I don't think they are anyway. Their defense plays well. They've, been moving, they've had just some pretty bad breaks in their game. And bad, and, defense, and, bad coaching decisions. Uh, too. Yeah, bad coaching calls when you're trying to, to win the game instead of put it in overtime. So uh, 
I'm going to give it to the Panthers here. I think they write the ship, but I don't know if they're a playoff team anymore. It's going to be tough because there's a lot of teams uh, jammed up in the middle of the NFC. It's up to you, New York, New York. All right. My Chicago Bears are playing the New York Giants in New York this week. The Giants are five-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. And uh, Mitchell Trubisky out for another week. And, you know, here, you're going to be surprised probably that I'm saying this, Andy, but I don't think the New York Giants are a gimme. Oh, oh absolutely not. Um, they're, they're a bit sneaky. I mean, they should have they should have totally won that game against the Eagles. They were up 19-3. to and they let that one slip away. Um, now, you mentioned about how Jameis Winston looked good against the 49ers defense. Well, it's because they weren't putting pressure on them. And when the Giants beat the 49ers a couple weeks ago, the 49ers had only blitzed, blitzed once. And I think the reason for that is that's, that's management and coaching going, yeah, these guys want to play hard, but let's kind of help out the tanking process a little bit more. Chicago is not going to let up on on Eli Manning. Uh, Khalil Mack's going to have a goddamn field day against that offensive line. And Eddie and, Jackson. Yeah, he's maybe he'll get another pick six. And then Roquan Smith. It, it's it's it, the matchup isn't great for the Giants. Team Hicks. They just seem to squeak out and cover shit at home, and they got these sneaky wins. Uh, Chicago, <laughs> I think they've covered the last four games. And they have. Um, they probably shouldn't have covered one that one against the Lions, but regardless of that, they are on the road here, and they have got a big game next week um, at Soldier Field against the Rams, which might have some playoff implications. So well, I'm really going to see how they stack up. Their defense stacks up against a, uh, an offense like Los Angeles, right? A lot of weapons there, um, yep. and they're really going to have to put the pressure on Jared Goff. But you definitely can't look past this week. So like I said, the Giants aren't really a gimme. They've been playing pretty well. Eli Manning looks like he's kind of uh, figured things out a little bit, and he's getting the ball to Odell Beckham. And, and, and yeah, definitely, you've got to be running Saquon Barkley 25 times a game. That guy is a physical specimen. Trust me, running him 25 times a game, you're just getting him warmed up. Right, and the biggest difference, I think, between Trubisky and Chase Daniel, obviously, is the the ability to scramble outside the box and, and run the ball. Chase Daniel is a pocket quarterback. Um, he so is, that, but he looked pretty damn good in the pocket last week. Yeah, he did. Yeah, no, I'm not taking anything away from that. And we're uh, getting, uh, like, our receivers, we had kind of like a no-name patchwork of receivers this year that started out as kind of, we don't know what to think of them. And guys like Robinson are just making a name for themselves as well. They're, they're playing really well. Well, you can tell that the Bears are having a lot of fun this season. They and, are. And the monsters of the Midway are back. And you can tell that the Giants want the season to end very quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what? It, so we're I, taking the Bears, right? Well... My mind says take the Giants just based on the stats, but just watching the Chicago Bears play the last couple of weeks, um, they're they're riding an emotional high, and I think they carry that through here to the Big Apple. Stop Bears! Stop Bears!
on for some Liberty City stories because Miami is at home this week. They're also four and a half point favorites against the visiting Buffalo Bills. And Andy, I'm going to say it right now. Right now, I think Buffalo's got a shot here. I don't disagree with you. But let's talk about it a little bit. This, I would call a sandwich game for the Dolphins. It's an almost wise guy's sandwich game. What are you? An idiot sandwich. So Miami had the Colts last week in Indianapolis. They probably could have won that game, but the Colts are just that much better. And then they play the Patriots at home next week. So there's definitely a look-ahead spot for Miami here. Now, Buffalo's coming off a win. In fact, they're coming off two wins. In fact, they're coming off two wins for the second time this season. So the Buffalo Bills now have a better record than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you see how fired up they were last week? That's a team that still wants to play. Yeah, and and Allen is a great quarterback. I mean, he will be a great quarterback. He's yeah. playing really well right now. Yeah, he's he looks he's he's his composure is great. Yeah, and you know, uh, as we keep mentioning week week by week, their defense is solid and they they're they're hanging in there. I Okay, so my This is a tough t- spread though. This is a tough it, spread. The four points with a, the hook. E. And then Tannehill is starting, so no Brocktoberfest. Miami's a sneaky team. They're they just are. sneaky. And I can, I, see, I can see them sneaking out a win here, but maybe not by five or more points. I, I, I'm riding this Buffalo train here. You know, they, they could win out and win the rest of the season and get in the playoffs at nine and seven. That's not going to happen, but I like them to cover against Miami. Yeah, we're jumping through a flaming table this week. Yeah, Bills Mafia. Well, the Suxonville Jaguars are at home this week, and they're home underdogs to the tune of four points to the, yeah, Indian- yeah, to the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, Andrew Luck's getting better every week. I've done some research. Yes, sir. We keep talking about this hot tub, so I wanted to find out more about it. Yeah, we got to get there. So the benefit of our listeners. So the entire upper deck of the north end zone is essentially a gigantic pool bar complete with sexy waitresses and umbrella drinks. They call it the Clevelander deck, which comes from the name of the famous Oceanside South Beach Hotel. And like South Beach, it is expensive. It's 250 bucks a person for pool and cabana access. Now, I gotta ask you this, Matt. What what do you think the women are like in there? So hot. Oh hot. Want to touch the hiney? Do you think yeah, but are they like 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 model hot or do they just get like some of the itchy there isn't bit. anything less than an. There isn't anything less than an eight. No. Okay. All right. Guaranteed, man. They, there's probably bouncers there. They got to make sure. And the girl to guy ratios probably can't get off either. That's true. Well, now let's focus on the game here. Leonard Fournette has a day off um, due to that wonderful uh, display of restraint that he showed in Buffalo, um, and they've got a really poor record without him. Now, uh, looking at their injury report, both Jalen Ramsey and Cleus Campbell are both listed as questionable, and those guys are big pieces on their defense. 
the wide receiver, Marquise Lee, is out for the season with a torn ACL. And as I said before, let's remember that the Buffalo Bills have a better record than the Jags. Indianapolis, I think, is one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Their offensive line is playing well. Their defensive secondary is playing well. Andrew Luck is on fire. I think he's now tied with Peyton Manning for the second most consecutive games with three-plus touchdowns. I'm going to go with the uh, with the rolling Colts here, and then I'm not even going to think twice about this. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, there's no way that Jacksonville is going to get to Andrew Luck. That's their only that's their only chance to win this game is putting the pressure on Andrew Luck. But Jacksonville kind of ex- has excelled on the four man rush, but it hasn't come together this year at all for them. And a four man rush against the Colts old line just I don't think it's going to do it. I think you got to get creative to be able to get to Andrew Luck. You cannot let Andrew Luck sit back in the pocket. And, and stay upright because he's just going to pick you up. He's too good. He will pick you apart all day long. Yeah, and even with Calais Campbell, even if he is in the lineup, he's not going to be 100%. So that pass rush um, gets downgraded quite a bit. Dugger. Texas tatted on my arm. Yeah. Got Houston on my back. Cause I love the city I'm from. Hands up if you feel And now we move to probably what is the hottest team in the NFL as they've rattled off eight straight wins. The Houston Texans at home against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Houston five and a half point favorites. But here's a tough spot for them as Cleveland uh, is kind of like getting a bit of a, a post Hugh Jackson surge. Uh, they looked pretty cocky last week in their big win against Cincinnati. Their, their defense is pretty hot. Uh, Baker Mayfield has looked like a different guy. Uh, do you think Houston is five and a half points better? Well, when you said the hottest team in the league right now, I, I thought you were going to say the Cleveland Browns. Because <laughs> they're coming off a two-game winning streak. Um, Greg with three G's at coach is is doing things a little differently, and, and, it's, and it's paying dividends on the field. Should we be calling them Triple G at this point? We're bringing a lot of big drama show. So you were saying that they were getting cocky? They were absolutely getting cocky. You know, remember one of their defensive backs after a touchdown came by and flippantly gave um, Hugh Jackson the, the ball, and then Baker Mayfield just threw him under the bus after the game of the uh, presser. And I, their, their scheme, and I think Houston is one of the most fraudulent 8-3 and three teams I've ever seen in my life. They're not that good. You really and, think so? Yeah, I do. I do. And Interesting. I, I know that Cleveland got their first road win last week in three years, but um, I like their momentum here. And, yeah, five and a half is a bit too much for for a Houston team like this. Yeah, Cleveland's the pick here for me anyway. Dog pal, y'all better turn up this week, man. Well, if uh, one thing was proven true last week, it was that the bungles are going to bungle, eh, buddy? I think we text about that. and Yeah, the bungles are going to bungle, and Hugh Jackson's going to Hugh Jackson. Yeah, so Cincinnati, four-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. A lot of home dogs this week, uh, but the Denver uh, Broncos are in town. Denver looks like a pretty good team right now. Seem to have uh, they rattled off some some consecutive wins against some very big teams. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, two of them are playing each other this week. And Hugh Jackson just proved that he can't win in Ohio, regardless of what professional team employs him. Right now, his coaching record in the Buckeye State is 338-1. and And now, the Bungles are starting Jeff Driscoll instead of Andy Dalton. Now, he played all right when he came in at the end of last game. Um, one other weapon that he will have at his disposal this week that he didn't before is a possible re-entrance of A.J. Green, who said he might play. But with Denver, their defense is playing well. Uh, the running back, Philip Lindsay, is putting on a clinic this year. Um, Case Keenum is not the worst quarterback in the world, right? No, I th- actually think he gets a little too much flack. He, he had a sniff of the Super Bowl last year. He did have a sniff of the Super Bowl, and he... he basically did whatever he had to in, in Minnesota to get them to that point. Um, I realize that that's kind of a large favorite, but Cincinnati has just, they give up so many yards on defense. It's hard to imagine they're going to keep this one too close. I like Denver to win here, and I like them to win by more than four and a half. On to the Motor City, where the Detroit Lions, who have been struggling, struggling recently, uh, they're at home against the LA Rams, and they are nine and a half point underdogs at Ford Field. That's pretty bad, even for the Lions. It is bad. This is a big spread, though. You know, the Rams coming across the country, playing in the early slot. I know that that doesn't always mean that uh, it's going to be difficult for them. But as I mentioned before, they got a big game against the Bears next Sunday night at Soldier Field. Possible look-ahead spot. As I say, Detroit should have won that game against your Bears. I know you're going to disagree with me, but if it weren't for a few bad coaching decisions... and Too little too late. They didn't show up at the beginning of the game, you know, and and playing from behind against a defense like that is not how you want to No, but keep in mind, this was a Detroit team that beat the New England Patriots at home. Um, this is just too many points for me. Uh, I like the Rams. They're, they're, they're playing as well. Now, keep in mind, in the last three games, the Rams have given up over 30 points in each. Yeah, one they, over, they haven't one, been blowing guys out either. Yeah. So Detroit can move the ball on you if they need to, especially through the air. And I'm at gonna, home. And at home. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, hopefully a hostile Lions crowd there to, to make things a little, little more difficult for Jared Goff. Let's go Lions. All the cheeseheads yell in the Green Bay hell Drink a piss beer choking it down And Big Mike McCarthy is looking kind of barfy Because he's choking on a big fourth down Well the Minnesota Vikings Been known to lose a game or two Chicago's got the Bears but Lord who cares And the fans are always feeling blue And the fans of the Lions are always crying Because the boys are always out of luck But everybody knows that the Packers up next, we go to Lambeau Field, where Green Bay, probably happy to be back at home because they sure as hell can't win on the road this year. Uh, they're at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, this day, it's down to 13 and a half. I bought this early in the week when it came out because I thought the line early in the week when it was 14 and a half uh, was, was an excellent value. So I picked them up at, I picked Arizona plus 14 and a half. It's now down to 13 and a half, though, and I think that's when I start questioning it. Uh, Green Bay desperately needs to win here. Yeah, just a uh, clarification about the line. This is the Westgate Super Contest line. 
which comes out on Wednesdays. And we, we've chosen that, so we're not sort of trying to chase line movements. Uh, right now, it is sitting at 14, uh, with a little bit of juice on the dog. You know what? Green, or Green Bay, yes, they look poor on the road, but Aaron Rodgers didn't look right. He still is reeling from that week one game against the, the Bears where he injured that leg, and he's just not planting his foot right. There was a couple throws that he normally would have made, pinpoint accuracy. I, I, I don't know what the hell happened to Arizona. They get up to a 10 nothing lead, and I'm thinking, all right, we got the right side of this one. And then Phillip Rivers comes in and rattles off 25 straight completions, breaks an NFL record, not only for most consecutive completions, but also the highest completion percentage for a game, 28 or, sorry, 27 out of 28. I don't think Arizona is that bad. Um, they're definitely not rolling over for teams. Oh, Last week, they came out of the gates pretty hot. Larry Fitzgerald, the ageless wonder, with another touchdown. So right now, the Green Bay Packers at 4-7-1 uh, have a 6% chance of making the playoffs. Now, when Aaron Rodgers hears that, he, he's, he hears a 100% chance. So it's likely that he'll be playing as hard as he ever will. But at the same time, do you really want to put this guy at risk of injury, knowing that you're probably not going to make the playoffs this year? And you want to set the stage properly for next year. So I'm not saying that they're going to be taking them out of the game, but really, are they are they going to put them in dangerous spots? Or are they mostly going to run the ball? And I, I think more of the latter. Um, Randall Cobb's not not going to be playing, or not likely to be playing. Uh, so I like them to use the running game. That kid Jones is putting on a putting on a clinic. And Arizona still has has David Johnson. So I'm liking the. Excuse me, I almost can't even say it. I like the Arizona Cardinals with a big spread here, plus 13 and a half. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. To Northern California we go. The Oakland Raiders at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. Oakland big-time home dogs here. Uh, it's a 14.5-point spread in favor of Kansas City. And uh, it might actually even be down to 14 now as I'm looking at uh, the site I bet on. Uh, but either 14, 14.5, that's a lot for KC to go into Oakland. Uh, that's, that's just a big spread. <laughs> it is a big spread, but... Let's look at the two teams, because I'm going to make an argument both ways. Yes, it's a divisional game. In fact, it's the first game that they will be playing against each other this year. The second one is later in December. Kansas City's coming off a bye, so they've got a little bit extra time to rest, a little extra time to prepare. Oakland started the game off well in Baltimore and then just had the wheels fall off. In fact, I thought... I thought for sure they'd cover that spread. They, they threw up 10 points right away in the first quarter. Now they're at home. I don't think anyone in Oakland really gives a shit about a division rivalry. Most of these guys probably aren't going to be there next year. So, you know, are you really going to have this false sense of anger against the Chiefs? Because that's traditionally been the case. I doubt it. Um, Oakland is 32nd against the pass in the league this year. And who is one? Who's the number one spot in passing? It's the Kansas City offense. Yeah, and uh, Oakland's DBs are not exactly 
great against the pass either. Like uh, Al Davis was always big on building a team around uh, the pass rush and the corners. And for Chucky to let Khalil Mack go, I think that made Al Davis turn over in his grave. And also with how they've left the corners kind of bare, which Al Davis was always big on having good corners that could cover, right? That's probably why their pass rush with guys like Howie Long and that those, those heydays were so successful was because there was a lot of coverage sacks going on there. Uh, Oakland doesn't have that anymore with Kansas City's offense. I know this is a big spread, Andy. I like the Kansas City Chiefs here. Yeah, I, just one other thing I want to mention. I think it was three weeks ago where the Arizona Cardinals went up to Arrowhead and covered a 17-point uh, spread. So this is only two and a half points difference, but this is actually a home game for Oakland. No, I, I the the wise guy in me just says you got to take a home dog more than two touchdowns. I gotta I gotta painfully go with the Raiders. Please hang up and try again. The Tennessee Titans are at home this weekend, uh, and they are also seven and a half point favorites against the New York Jets, and uh, uh, you know, it's a truism almost every year. The Jets suck. Yeah, but they don't suck that badly. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. No, Although were- Tennessee's up and down as well. One week they beat the, the Pats. The next week they're losing to just horrible teams. I, I, well, I, they, I don't know they, what to make of them either. Keep in mind that they were first in goal with two minutes left against the Pats in the fourth quarter. Like, they could easily have covered that game. Yep. Um, backdoor covered. And Tennessee, yes, I know they beat the Patriots, beat them soundly, but that's that's not the, the rationale that I'm going at here. I like the Jets here, and I think this is going to be a really low-scoring game, and anything over a touchdown I think is too much. This line was as high as nine points, I think, at the beginning of the week, and now it's been bet down to seven and a half, and as long as you're getting it over a touchdown, I'm j- definitely going with the J-E-T-S Jets. Seattle Seahawks are in their friendly confines this weekend. The 12th man will be in full effect as the San Francisco 49ers are in town. Seattle, nine and a half point favorites against the 49ers team that last week at least looked like they're, they've given up. Well, I don't think the players have given up. Management's given up. They, they refuse to blitz. You know, they've gone off to a pretty good start in Tampa Bay, but then, you know, if you can't move the ball on that Tampa Bay defense... Sorry, dude, you're, you're just, nothing's going to happen for the rest of the year with these guys. Well, it ain't going to get any better against Seattle. <laughs> well, not in Seattle. Um, I, I looked at Seattle's, uh, the results of all the games so far this year. In their 11 games, only four of them have been decided by more than a touchdown. And that was three wins against the Cowboys in September, the Raiders, the Lions, and then an eight-point loss to the Chargers. Well, they're beating the teams they should. Like uh, that, it, that means they should be able to win by 10 points against the Niners. I, I think you're right. At home. 
I think you're right. There's, I think you'd be looking at this probably from the wrong angle. Of, yeah, it's a divisional game, but Seattle is playing really well. They're playing well at home. They're playing even better on the um, uh, sorry, they're playing well on the road. They're playing even better at home. Their offensive line is much better than it was in September. Yeah, it's not the Russell Wilson show anymore. He's actually got some outlets now. He does. Now, Doug Baldwin was listed as questionable for the game, but even still, they, they found the running game. Um, they're, they're playing for their playoff lives here. I, I like them to cover the nine and a half. New England Patriots. Greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say New England. Up next, we go to the heart of the 13 colonies. New England Patriots. Five-point favorites against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I like the Pats here. I think Minnesota, they seem very confused. <laughs> Their defense just isn't what it was last year, and I just can't figure that out because their personnel didn't really change. Yeah, that's a tough one. They they struggled for about three quarters of that game against Green Bay on Sunday night. Um, they ended New up, England's got a healthy Gronk now. Well, and Sony Michelle, although he got hurt last week again. <laughs> he's gonna Gronk is about as healthy as he's gonna get. Yeah, um, he's good for three or four catches and probably a touchdown. Um, that one touchdown that he got last week. You know, he was in double coverage, and he just out-muscled these guys. Yeah. And he'll do that. I mean, even if he doesn't get a lot of um, not a lot of balls thrown his way, he's still drawing double coverage. Oh, and he, he makes the most out of the balls that do get thrown his way because he'll give you an honest effort every time. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're giving me Tom Brady and Bill Belichick at home at less than a touchdown. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that most, most times. And Minnesota is not what they were last year, and these are the types of games that New England covers very easily. It's going to be a bang-up Sunday nighter this weekend. Pittsburgh Steelers, three-and-a-half-point favorites in Heinz Field. But the uh, visiting Chargers are coming into town, and they're no joke. Yeah, well, these two teams do have something in common, and it's they both lost to the Denver Broncos in the last two weeks. Now, the Chargers are coming off a bye week in which they played the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Pittsburgh, wow, man, they should have won that game in Denver. That was – they Ben Roethlisberger – Threw for over 450 yards for the sixth time in his career. In fact, they outgained the Broncos by 200 yards. Like they had over 500 yards on offense, and they they didn't win. And that was because what uh, end zone interception, red zone fumble. Um, I think there was a missed field goal, a couple sketchy play calls on Tomlin's part. But Pittsburgh is a different team at home. You know, Ben's touchdown to interception ratio goes from one to one on the road to three to one at home. And I don't see them making a lot of mistakes. Melvin Gordon is not going to be in the lineup or not likely to be in the lineup for the Chargers, which is huge. Yeah, big loss there. Big loss. Especially away. You need a guy like that to help uh, get you some points. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not even scared of the hook here at three and a half. I think the Chargers have already missed an extra point in this game. 
<laughs> I'm going Steelers. Uh, yes, instead of our regular Monday Night Football theme introduction, that is the theme for MASH. And uh, very appropriate for the Monday Nighter is the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, six and a half point favorites against the professional football team from Washington. And uh, there's a lot of guys that are on the injury report this week. Yeah, if you want to take a look at Philly first, so Darren Sproles is questionable. Cornerback Jalen Mills is questionable. Middle linebacker Jordan Hicks is out. And, of course, no Jay Ajayi. Now, let's flip to the Washington team. On offense, Jamison Crowder, Samaje Perrine, Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson, and Adrian Peterson are all questionable on offense. And that these guys aren't even linemen. These are all skilled position players. And they still have Sean Levio and Brandon Scherf out on the offensive line. And those are just offensive injuries. So, again, this matchup comes down to what backups play better. And Cole McCoy looked all right. Uh, I think he threw three interceptions. But, you know, he looked all right against Dallas. And I don't think that's a big step down from Alex Smith. I've got a lot of respect for both guys. <sighs> yeah, for a divisional game, I think this is too many points. Philadelphia barely won that game against the Giants. In fact, they, they were down in the fourth quarter by over two scores. They've not looked good at all year. Uh, the defensive secretary is banged up. I look for the uh, professional football team from Washington to cover a six-and-a-half-point spread. What do you think, Matty? Well, I think that this is a, a really tight division right now and completely up for grabs. So, I mean... Yeah, the six and a half points is what's going to make me lean to the professional football team from Washington as uh, I think this is going to be a low-scoring, tight affair because neither offense is really clicking right now and there's so many injuries. It's, I, this is going to be one of the weaker Monday nighters of the year, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an interesting point about division leaders. If Dallas loses to the Saints, which they probably will, and Philadelphia beats Washington, now you've got a three-way tie in the NFC East. Yeah, it's almost eight wins you think is going to be able to can win that division, and that is awful. Well, yeah. and maybe nine. But nine I mean, and seven will definitely get you into the playoffs. Right, and that is, that's really bad. I mean, you know, it, and that's not showing parity in that division. It's that all those teams are just up and down. The organizations aren't. Uh, a lot of them are in turmoil. We've talked about Dan Snyder in Washington and all the crap. Philadelphia has a Super Bowl hangover. In Dallas, Jerry Jones is completely blind that his head coach is awful and needs to go. Uh, and, and in New York, they've got a host of issues, including an aging quarterback and a defense that just isn't putting up the numbers that they used to. This division is the whole theme for MASH could be playing throughout this entire division. And yeah, for sure. Six and a half points? No thanks. I'll, I'll definitely take Washington. Well, every now and then, we're lucky enough to have the commissioner of my fantasy football league stop by and talk fantasy in a segment we like to call Fantasy Time with the Commish. Now that we're getting close to the playoffs, and assuming you're in a keeper league, 
What sort of moves would you make if you are contending in your league? If you're a contender this season, keep in mind it's never too early to think about next season and what you can do to improve. You may not want to break your team up right now if you're playing well, but you could also make a move with another team to get a younger player of similar worth to a current roster player. This can really help you long term. Now, conversely, what should you be doing if you have no chance of making the playoffs? If you're out of the running for the playoffs, you know you're not going to catch the top of the standings. It's time to revamp your lineup heading into the offseason. Now, the most obvious moves you can make are to drop the dead weight from the season and pick up a couple of players who may make an impact next season. If you're on the fence about a veteran who's having a career year but never shown as much potential before, perhaps this is the time to trade him to a contender while their value is high. Get back a young player of similar worth or someone you think will break out next season instead of keeping a player who potentially could regress back to their career average. When choosing which of your quarterbacks to activate, would you be more likely to choose the one whose team will likely be making the postseason this year, or would you prefer taking a guy whose team is out of the running and therefore has little to lose? At this point in the season, if a team looks like they are a lock for the playoffs, they are going to take absolute care of their quarterback. They're not running them out there just to make plays. So I find your best bet is go with the guy on the losing team. At least he's still trying to put up numbers because he's certainly not getting a contract based on Super Bowls. He's getting it based on stats. So go with the guy for the losing team. What could you lose? It's time for Andy's Total Prop Tease. This is a pretty popular segment, and the basic game of it is Andy's going to make you a recommendation on a point total, a prop bet, and finally a teaser. And we're going to invite you to do the same thing along with us on our Facebook fan page. A successful total prop tease is any combo that hits two out of the three. So, Mr. Prognosticator, take out your Swami hat. Give us your Week 13 thoughts. Well, we'll go to the total first, and we're going to look at the Browns and Texans game. And right now, that's sitting at 48.5. Last week, Baker Mayfield put up 28 points in the second quarter alone. And this is going to be a back-and-forth game. I think it's going to be a close one, but I can see a lot of points being scored here, probably closer to the tune of 60. Proposition bet, we're going to look to the Atlanta game and Julio Jones to go under a total of 7.5 receptions. The Ravens have given up the third-fewest receptions in the NFL this season at 227, and Jones has been held to seven or fewer receptions in three of his last four games. Take the under on this one. And for the teaser, we're actually going to go and consider two underdogs from the AFC East, and that would be the New York Jets, and we're going to tease them up to plus 15, and the Buffalo Bills tease them up to plus 10.5. Both totals are low, the Jets at 40.5 and and the Buffalo Bills game at 40, so there's not going to be a lot of points scored here. So those are big point spreads to overcome. So again, Browns-Texans over 48. Julio Jones under seven and a half receptions and the Jets and the Bills to tease upwards. Thank you to all our fans for listening to episode 13 of Almost Wise Guys. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud so you don't miss a show. You can also hit us up on our Facebook fan page for additional content and picks from all week 13 games across the NFL. Please submit your questions to almostwiseguys at gmail.com or to our Facebook fan page from the Cosa Nostra studios. For Andy the Prognosticator Attridge, back at Almost Wise Guys Central, I'm Matty Buller. Get out and pick yourself a winner. If you liked our podcast, please share it with a friend. If you hated it, please share it with two enemies. Tune in two weeks from now 
At the same bet time, on the same bet channel, sayonara. It's Jim Brown's Liberty Hot Tub Party, and now here he is, the Godfather of Soul, and Hot Tub Man number one, Jim Brown. Sometimes I make me break out in a cold sweat. One, two, three, four. Let's go. Let's go.